The ARA acknowledges the traditional owners of the land where we have recorded this podcast, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and we pay our respects to the Elders past, present, and recognise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders as Australia's first traders, who utilise a sophisticated network of trading paths that have facilitated the exchange of goods, knowledge and culture for millennia. Hi, I'm Paul Zara, CEO of the Australian Retailers Association, and welcome to Retail Therapy, a podcast proudly brought to you by American Express. The ARA is Australia's largest and oldest retail association, representing around 7,500 independent national and international members. Each episode, I'll be chatting with a leader in Australia's retail industry right here in the Amex Lounge, including the CEOs of some of the biggest retailers in Australia and across the globe. We'll be finding out what makes them tick, what defines their leadership style, and how they got to the top of their game. So join me for some retail therapy as we ask these questions and more and navigate our way through the retail industry, Australia's largest private sector employer. For more information about the work we do at the Australian Retailers Association, head to our website, retail.org.au. Joining me for some retail therapy today in the Amex Lounge is Mike Schneider, Managing Director at Bunnings Group, Australia's leading retailer for home improvements and one of the most recognisable brands in the country with more than 350 trading locations and over 48,000 team members. If you've ever been in the mood to upgrade things around the home, you've been in a Bunnings store, usually your first port of call, or even if it's to visit for those infamous sausage sizzles. So I'm delighted to have Mike with me today to talk about his career in retail. Mike, welcome. Thanks, Paul. Great to be with you and really looking forward to our conversation. Well, you've been now at Bunnings for 16 years and held various roles since becoming Managing Director in 2016. How has the company grown over that time to be the iconic brand in retail that it is today? It's it's a great question. And and look, when I joined Bunnings back in in 2005, um, our full year revenues were around about the the $4 billion mark. And uh, you know, it's certainly grown significantly since then. You know, it was 2015 as a business, we we hit a billion dollars on the bottom line for earnings, and wow. we're at one and a quarter for the first half of the FY21 year, and are excited um, to sort of see what our full year results look like when we when we bring those to the market uh, next month. But it's it's a really unique business. I think the thing that I love most about Bunnings is that, uh, as you said in your introduction, you know the connections there in terms of things you want to do around your home, but it's also the really unique connections to the community. And you know the, the most common question I, I get asked when I when I say I work for Bunnings is which store do you work in? And I really like that because to me, what you don't see is a big team and, and lots of stores. You see a local business in your community um, supporting the community, providing um, the products that turn houses into dream homes or, or help you run your business more effectively when I think about our trade customer. And to me, we've occupied a unique place in, in the community's mind for a really long time. Leading the organisation, you know, it's, it's a great privilege because the thing we work hard to do is continue to make that a, a reality for our customers and a reality for our team and obviously the suppliers who supply into us as well. Mm. Well, I want to go back a little bit, um, back to where it began for you. What was life growing up like was a career in retail always on the cards? Ah, oh, absolutely not. I grew up in uh, I grew up in Sydney uh, in North Ride. Mum and dad, um, dad, dad's health wasn't the best, so um, you know I was always always going to need to get out and get working as soon as soon as I could. But 
they also believed in the importance of a good education. So I went to a couple of high schools in, in Sydney and then on to the University of New South Wales, where I studied to become a history and English high school teacher. Um, I think if my memory serves me correct, Paul, we both we, we both spent a bit of time at, at Target and uh, I started my retail career at Target in Wallace Way in Chatham, which is a shopping centre that, that no longer exists. It was replaced by the biggest store in, in the Westfield Shopping Centre there and, and had really, really fond memories of Thursday nights and Saturdays, socialising with my mates, learning a few things. But I really did love the vibe of retail. I really loved the connection with customers. I love working with other team members. And as I sort of progressed my tertiary studies, I realised that the classroom probably wasn't for me. I'd sort of fallen into education as a little bit of a plan B. I didn't, didn't get to go to the university that I first chose to for, for a number of reasons. So teaching sort of presented as a logical option. But when I didn't love the classroom, I was fortunate to have a store manager who said, would you consider a traineeship with Target? So off I went and started my Target traineeship. And they were, they were very generous in letting me complete my, my degree um, and, and sort of worked around my studies for the first first couple of years, which was pretty uncommon sort of back in the early 90s to have that level of flexibility. But, but I had a leader that um, believed in me and gave me opportunities. And when I finished my traineeship, they, they sent me out west to Dubbo. I did a, I did a store opening of, for Target in Dubbo in 1993, which feels oh. like five lifetimes ago. <laughs> stuck with it and stuck with it for a while. But I think as as many of us in the industry have understood, and the industry's now evolved a lot. You know, back in those days, you know, it was almost an expectation that you would be a, a certain age or, or have a certain amount of experience behind you before you you moved into store management. And you know, being young and, and doing a few different things, I was really ambitious to get to get ahead. And I just didn't see that Target was delivering that. And I um, always remember I answered back in the days before Seek and anything online. I answered an ad in the newspaper for. A retail bank that was interested in, um, or a bank interested in retailers and the transformation that they were under, and the bank turned out to be Westpac, and it was part of the, the Bob Joss era of, of of turning the bank from this, you know, old bureaucratic, credit driven model into something that was more customer facing. And in '95, I joined I joined the bank and had a fantastic five year run, working in in retail banking, consumer banking, strategy and finance, and and HR, and travelled from Sydney to Perth to Adelaide to Melbourne. Um, and it was, it was funny, you know, it was, it was Christmas, uh, what year would it have been? 2001, I think it might've been, and, or even maybe even 2002, but I was in Burke street in David Jones, uh, which is a business I know is, is dear to your heart. Paul, and, we, we, we cross, there's a lot of paths here. We've crossed. Yeah, we're crossing paths that front and center, but you know what Christmas in retail and particularly department store retailing is like, it's a magical place. And here I was doing one corporate lunch after another, you know, Wining and dining clients, which was a nice thing to do, but it's pretty soulless. You know, you have lunch and, and head home. And here I was standing in David Jones going, I really do miss this magic. I really miss um, all that retail has to offer. And over the years, I'd sort of flirted with going back into retail and um, the, the right opportunities weren't there. And, and you sort of, you know, continue to sort of build your career where it wasn't. You know, I had a young family, I had a mortgage. There's the practicalities of life, right? You know, careers aren't, aren't, a, aren't a fairy tale of, of one thing to another. And I needed to provide for for my kids and my wife, and and that was really important. And I reached out to a few people I knew at the warehouse group, the New Zealand retail business. They bought a bought a few bargain chain stores here in Australia, and were trying to do a turnaround. And they were happy to take me on as a regional manager in in Victoria. And I did that for a few years before going back to Sydney with the warehouse group. And from there, I, I was having a heap of fun. I was doing some HR work. I was doing retail ops. I was travelling around visiting stores. All the stuff that really energised me. 
but it wasn't a business that was performing as well as as its owner would like. And eventually, the decision from the warehouse group board was to sell the Australian business to private equity. And I met with the private equity people, have deep respect for people that work in in private business and private equity. But what they were asking me to do, which was you know slash and burn and close stores and rationalise sort of flew in the face of my value set. I, I, I love creating jobs, you know, we're the beneficiaries of, and, and so many in retail are of, you know, the casual into part-time, into permanent, into leadership roles. And, and I love seeing that growth. Um, so I made the choice that, that you know, going ahead with, with PE wasn't going to be for me. And through a few recruiters, I knew I was interviewing for a couple of different roles and, and a role at Bunnings came up in 2005. So came to Bunnings as regional manager or state manager for New South Wales and, and the ACT and 16 or close to 16 years later, um, here I am doing what I do. I've been doing this for five and a bit years and I think I've got the best, I've got the, certainly got the best retail job in the country and, and maybe the best corporate job because it is a it is a brand that, you know, people relate to. It's a brand that's very down to earth. Uh, it's got incredible people. You know, I, I've just before this podcast, Paul, I was signing long service letters and I signed a couple for for people with 50 years, five decades wow. of service in the business, another half a dozen that were 30, 35 or 40 years and people put down roots and grow at Bunnings. I love that. Um, and I'm really fortunate to be a part of the team. Mm, that's that's amazing. There's a lot of similarities in our, both our careers. So it's, it's a conversation for another day, I guess. I'd be keen to understand, um, uh, given that you went and studied to be an educator and to as particularly to explore teaching, do you find that, that maybe that, that those skills are used to this very day in your in your job, hundred percent, Paul. I think as leaders, our, our first our first job is to coach, right, and and develop. And and teaching is all about coaching and development. And context is really important. So I've always found it really important in what we communicate and how we educate our team. It's about setting the right context, whether it's our strategic frameworks, you know, the, the sort of business models we use to to run our business, or uh, the strategies we have for a twelve or twenty four month period. The, the why is really important, you know, and, and you know, you'll know from your your time as a CEO, you visit a store and you ask why something's happening and, and the team will look at you with this sort of incredulous look and <laughs> you realise that someone's told them Mike said or Paul said and there's no there's no context for the decision right. and, and the rationale. So that, that context is, is, is just so important. And all of us in the leadership group at Bunnings have a, what I would call a teaching load. So we, we have a number of programs, our future leader programs, our trainee leader program, and got Bunnings management program for, for sort of our, our emerging senior leaders and then advanced management for our more senior leaders. And all of us speak and, and teach parts of the curriculum for those programs. So I still get my, my fix of uh, my fix of classroom time, but uh, it's it certainly sat better for me within the, the construct of uh of this business, perhaps more so than the, the education system. And every now and then I'm lucky enough to speak to some high school students or university students and and talk about industry and, and all things business and I get a buzz out of that. So there probably was an educator hidden in there somewhere, that's for sure. <laughs> now, we can't get through this podcast, Mike, without talking about the C word. That's COVID, of course. Um, cast your mind back to the beginning of the pandemic. Lockdowns are announced. There's restrictions placed on businesses. Bunnings were still allowed to trade, but not so during the second Victorian lockdown. What was going on behind closed doors to manage this incredible disruption? Yeah, look, it's 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 been a fascinating time, and you know, you know, so Bunnings operates in in all jurisdictions across Australia, so you know, all the territories and all the states, as well as both islands in in New Zealand, and. Managing the business through the pandemic has been a little bit like watching um, an Olympic swimming race, right? Because eight eight lanes, we've got sort of around eight jurisdictions, and 
Uh, all eight were performing differently at different times. New Zealand went into a really severe lockdown, but very short. The Victorian one, for those of us that, that live in Melbourne, um, was endured, perhaps more so than, than lived through. And I think each time there's restrictions imposed, there's a collective fatigue growing across the community. For me, one of the things that's been challenging is the is the inconsistency in, in the way that um, governments, federal and state, have, have applied applied policies. And we've worked very hard and very respectfully with each government to adhere to the uh, requirements that, that they need to be open or closed. Ironically, in Australia, it's only been in Victoria that we haven't been allowed to fully trade even during a lockdown. So oh. um, the, the Sydney lockdown that's going on at the moment, we can trade the Perth lockdown last week or the Queensland lockdown. Our stores were open as normal. Customers know that it's not time to go and shop for some new paint or or wallpaper, but they do know that if something breaks around the home or they've got to make an emergency repair, or it's just easier to get to Bunnings for cleaning products than a supermarket, you know, it's it's an important part of the of the fabric. And it also doing things at home. There's plenty of research that that shows doing things at home, staying physically and mentally active, are, are really positive. We were able to trade online. Our online business was very strong in Victoria uh, through the lockdown, and and that saw our our first half. Um, online revenue at peak at 3.1 or 3.2% of total revenue, mostly driven by that that long Victorian lockdown. We've certainly learned to be very flexible, very adaptable, alongside the great work that that you and the ARA have done in 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 the advocacy space for business. We've spent a lot of time talking to governments, working with government on um, COVID safe measures. In fact, some of the COVID safe measures we have in place at Bunnings have been recognised by both police and, and health as, as some of the, the best in the industry. And that, that's been really important. We've offered up our sites in Victoria for, for mobile COVID testing. We've done that in Western Australia as well. So we really see ourselves as, as a partner. Um, and we continue to work hard to, to make the case as it has been in the rest of Australia and, in fact, most of the world, but that hardware and home improvement is an essential part of the retail framework and uh, we'll continue to sort of, you know, work hard to, to get engagement. And, and, in fact, there's been... Um, you know, a good understanding of that from from governments all around the country. But as as we've seen, you know, it comes down to the individual circumstances of the of the state or territory as to what what measures are put in place. Mm. I know you and I remained in very close contact through that pandemic, and um, I mean, you've demonstrated amazing leadership uh, through this. So all credit to you and your team at Bunnings. And I, I guess when you think about the last twelve months before COVID hit, Australians did spend about sixty five billion dollars on overseas travel. A lot of that money has been spent in Australia during COVID on household goods as we saw that the those sales went through the roof. Lots of people upgrading their homes. Fair to say that Bunnings has been one of the big winners out of the pandemic. And what do you put that down to? If you think about your business and your business uh, and your team, uh, it goes beyond just, you know, taking advantage, I guess, of the pandemic. What, what do you think um, uh, has been the great success factors through that period? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question, Paul. You know, when when the when the pandemic hit, I think like most people, we probably well, first and foremostly, you know, for all of us who are in leadership roles, for the last you know five or six years at least, people have been saying, you know, uh, in, instinct based leadership is is pretty much dead. We need to rely on data, and and the data will guide our thinking. And, and that's I think that that holds very true for known business circumstances, you know, events like pandemics. There hasn't been one of this scale for 100 or so years, so we needed to rely on a lot of experience and, and instinct. And you know, the first thing for us was safety and welfare of our team. That that was that was job number one, and, and clearly as a flow through to that was safety and well-being of, of our customers and our team informed a lot of our thinking. We very quickly started to engage with, with um, government and, and health departments to make sure that 
our go-to-market proposition was a really safe one um, because that mm. that's at the heart of trust. And I think Bunnings has always, you know, been been seen as a very trusted trusted brand. And in fact, during the first phase of lockdown, Roy Morgan, you know, uh, results showed that Bunnings was the most trusted brand, not just the most trusted retail brand, but the most trusted most. brand in the country. And I think people were made to feel really safe. And I think in times of uncertainty engaging in something that's really familiar and the Bunnings shopping experience it has a really you know in the main and, and we're far from perfect let me let me stress that but in the main there's a positive affiliation with shopping at Bunnings and um, there was an, an element of, of normality and, and clearly when you have to work at home and you have to educate at home when you think about schools being closed even the most minor um, squeak or fault in your house suddenly becomes a major drama that drip yeah. of a tap outside your home office Suddenly, people are buying things to just to fix those up. But that that you know, we sort of saw that phase of establishing home offices and home classrooms into effectively needing to to, to cocoon uh, in in your home, and home became the safest place you could be. And and having more time at home meant doing more projects, doing more things. I remember walking down the street with my partner um, during the, the first lockdown, and you know, it was just a suburban street in in the part of Melbourne I live in, and. Family A are, you know, pressure washing the driveway. Family B are pruning the hedges. Family C are painting the front of their house. Clearly, it was one of the few things you could do, but it also kept you kept you active. Yeah. Um, so that that that, along with um, appliances and homeware retailing and, and all parts of the home, I think have, have, you know, been able to engage more with consumers because consumers have been at home. You, you touched on the borders being closed, and I think there's still a lot of nervousness about even domestic travel with internal borders opening and closing, you know, seemingly at the at the drop of the hat. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the government stimulus, you know, and I, I you know, you can't underestimate the impact of, of the federal government's um, job keeper and job seeker and home builder programs. You know, those things have been really important for the economy. We certainly saw the impact of the absence of those at the start of the most recent Melbourne lockdown and the, the anxiety that caused in the, particularly the small business community, the inability to pay pay people as a business wherever we've been closed or had to furlough our team some of our more vulnerable team we've always we've always paid them um, to make sure that they're they're looked after but interest rates are low housing churns high there's incentives to renovate it's certainly a period of time that we should be participating strongly in the market but we do recognize that nothing lasts forever that 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 cycle will shift um, and we've never we've never endeavored to to, to sort of capitalise on that, you know, for example, you know, with with um, some of the, the lockdowns around Australia recently, we, we pivoted our ads from product and price to here's how to shop safely, yes. encouraging less people from the household to come to the store. We tracked the number of customers in or out. So we never want to be seen to be um, profiteering, if you like, probably yeah. the probably the word, but in or, or acting in any way that is seeking to exploit the circumstance, but but clearly the absence of travel, clearly the need to be at home more uh, is 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 going to benefit retailers that have an exposure to that space as opposed to maybe other sectors of, of services and, and tourism. Being having stock availability is critical because because heightened volumes will will drive um, much stronger demand that puts pressure on the supply chain. Our supplier partners have been outstanding in their support for us, their their work alongside us in getting products when our customers have needed them in the quantities that they need. And when you're doing a project, it's not one bag of potting mix, it's 20 bags of potting mix or not one bag of concrete and so on and such forth. Yeah. So our supplier's done a great job. So being open, being available, being safe and being in stock have all been critical to um, leading into the, the period of trade we've had. 
Now, I've said COVID's accelerated trends that were already occurring in the industry by probably about by a decade, and there's no doubt more of us are shopping online. Now, is it a journey or a destination for Bunnings, and where are you at on that digital journey? Yeah, it's definitely a journey. Our first, our first online offerings, and they were pretty modest, were our 20,000 special order SKUs in February 2018. Progressively through 2019, um, we, we were rolling our online offer, which is click and collect um, and click and deliver out to our Australian network. And we had plans to go live in New Zealand uh, about now in 2021. Um, by early last year, we had all of Australia and New Zealand online. So we moved very, very quickly. We've recently completed a significant replatform of our consumer website. Our trade website goes live uh, in the first half of, of FY22. So it's still very much a journey, still so much for us to do. We're, we're in the early days. And when we compare ourselves to our global peers, so Home Depot and Lowe's and Kingfisher or Grupo Dio in, in France and Germany. Um, yeah, it's really clear we've got a lot of lot of runway still in front of us. What we want to make sure of is that wherever a customer wants to engage with our brand, they get the best possible experience, whether that's inspiration for a project, education through our YouTube channel, transactional capability, or coming into store and, and purchasing from us. That That's really important. And for our trade customers, we've taken that a step further with our, our trade account program is called PowerPass, and, and if you have the digital version of PowerPass, you can actually transact on your mobile device. So you drive in, load up your ute or your trailer, scan all the products yourself. That generates a, a, a charge against your trade account. It gives the QR code to the person on the on the gate. They can check your, your ute or your uh, trailer just the way that they would if you'd been through the checkout and you're on your way, but you've probably saved 10 or 15 minutes on the way through, which when time's money running a small business, that's really important. Amazing. I'll remember that next time when I hitch my trailer to the car. That's that's going to be really saving um, uh, a time-saving experience. Now, the environment and sustainability is becoming more of an issue for customers. People are becoming more conscious of the environmental impacts of the products that they buy. What are some of the things Bunnings is doing to address those concerns, and what role do you see the broader retail industry playing in this regard? Yeah, it's a, it's another another really important uh, area of work for us. So you know, there's there's two parts. This one is you know establishing strong credentials as a business, and then secondarily through the products that we sell. On the first, we've made a we've made a commitment to be 100% renewable energy by 2025, and we're well well advanced on that. Some of that is um, purchasing green energy, but some of it, you know the, the real focus is on generating energy ourselves. So 74 of our Bunnings warehouses now have. Um, solar uh, panels installed on their their roofs. Amazing. Uh, our plan is to be over 100 warehouses this financial year. We're changing construction um, specifications to, to 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 sort of lower the the energy requirements on our stores. Uh, we've moved to LED. We're, we're retrofitting all new stores get um, energy efficient LED lighting, but we're retrofitting the whole fleet uh, on things like that to reduce reduce a draw. So th- those are the sorts of things that are really important for us as a business in operating. They're the right things to be doing. It's the right time to be doing it. On the product side, I think we've had a strong position uh, for as long as I can recall on sustainably logged timber. So FSC and PFSC timber are uh, requirements to, to sell product. And it's not just a timber you find in the timber yard. It's a timber that goes into um, a wooden finish on a on a light fitting or um, a piece of furniture for your backyard. So that that discipline runs through the business. We've got a lot of work happening with our suppliers to reduce packaging in its entirety, but also go to one hundred percent recyclable packaging by twenty twenty five as well. And we're currently looking at 
um, you know, where are the different changes in chemical compounds that, um, you know, do have an environmental environmental impact. So neonicotinoids, as an example, uh, in some of our gardening products, had some risks around bee communities. And, and you know, for anyone who understands the role that a bee plays within the, the overall ecosystem, it's actually an incredibly important one. So, you know, eradicating that sort of chemical, we're looking long and hard at what, what products like glyphosate mean for us as a business going forward in terms of weed killers and emerging technologies. So it is really important to us that we're thinking about that and educating our customers. You know, what we saw through COVID was, a real uptick in people growing their own, you know, herbs and vegetables at home. So investing more into that space, harvesting and recycling rainwater has always been something we've we've had a, a strong interest in. So there are all sorts of areas that as a business, we've got great opportunities to improve, but have also made, you know, some significant inroads as well. You've absolutely been leaders in that, that area. So I want to now talk about a day in the life of Mark Schneider. What does a normal day look like for you? What's on the agenda what time do you start? What time do you get to bed? <laughs> yeah, it's um, it it does vary day to day, and I think one of the things that is a great one of the one of the great blessings, and and at times perhaps a bit of a curse of being you know in a really senior leadership role is is just the diversity. You know, my routine is no routine, and I, and I probably had to come to. Um, yeah, I really struggled. My first executive appointment at, at Bunnings was two thousand and seven. I became general manager of the operations network, and. When I was running my region in New South Wales, you know, there was a great routine. You know, you knew which stores you were visiting. You sort of worked your way around the mm. state, you know, over a period of time and you'd do your, your, your Melbourne trips for, for visits to the national office uh, as were needed. Moving into the national role, you sort of pulled and pushed in, in lots of different places. And, and you know, being being managing director, there's probably a, you know, 10x on 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 that. So there's no... There's no one. There's no one size fits all. If I'm out in stores, it's always very early starts because our operational teams get going at six six thirty in the morning. So you want to be there when the stores open. Um, and you know we like to get teams together over a meal at the end of the day to have a bit of a chat about what's going on in the business and listen and learn. Obviously, with COVID um, and particularly with with uh, the requirements to wear masks in in offices and things like that, which we've had so much of over the last few months. It's a bit more practical working from home, so that flexibility has been good and helped inform my thinking on how I want our support teams to work flexibly in the future. Um, but there's a lot of reading, there's a lot of ground you have to cover every day. There's a lot of detail, and you know that saying "retail is detail" is is true. Whether it's the boardroom or the shop floor, it's you got to be across you got to be across the detail of you know product price, sales margins, costs all the things that are really important to drive, you know, the productivity loop of your business to be yeah. to be successful. The absence of travel has been a blessing and a curse. You know, I don't I don't miss the the sort of trip to Sydney for a one or two hour meeting and then the trip yeah. back. And certainly much more purposeful when we think about travel. But the importance of human connection, you know, is so important. I know that Last time we were down in Melbourne and we caught up, you know, with a few other retailers over, over a bite to eat. Yeah. That, that sort of connection engagement is really important because it's it's the best way to sort of share share ideas and, and thoughts. But I think we've yeah. become far more comfortable with with technology. So that's that's improved productivity. The danger when you work from home is that working from home go becomes living at work and you've got to be really careful to sort of strike that strike that balance. Um, but because I love what I do and I feel it's as much a hobby as it is a career, um, I never I never feel tempted to clock watch. I've got a, a very understanding partner. My kids have grown up with me doing um, you know, quite broad roles. So they're quite used to sort of, you know, dad turning up at odd times and not being around at other times but you make the most of the moments that that matter away from work and most importantly have fun when you're at work if you're not enjoying 
I say this a lot in Bunnings. If you're not enjoying what you're doing, you know, I challenge you to find the thing in life that's going to make you feel happy because when you do that, the money won't matter and the, the hours won't matter because you're feeling very satisfied in what you do. No, absolutely. Um, good, good point. Clearly a really busy role. How do you remain physically and mentally fit? Um, I think mentally is, is very much about diversity of thinking. So reading, watching things, switching off. Um, like most people in Melbourne last year, you know, we adopted a we adopted a dog dog, and and we've got we've got Henry, who's half Blue Heeler, half Australian cattle dog. wasn't quite the dog that the rescue the rescue place marketed him to be. It was meant to have a bit of corgi in there, and I thought that would be a little bit less active. So, having a cattle dog means that uh, he's happy to be walked twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, and he's mm. pretty smart. He comes in about half past five, and he starts tapping your leg with his paw, which is his way of saying get away from the computer and and get outside for a while with me, and um, you can get back to that. But, you know, certainly very active every day. I, I don't like sitting around and sitting still. So, um, you know, if it's mowing the lawn or raking up some leaves or doing something and staying mm. active all the time is really important. Love going to the gym. Um, love love a bit of running, love a bit of cycling. Um, you know, and I think, you know, on, as I said, on the mental bit, it's about just that flexibility. Pick up a book and read read about someone's life story. You know, we had, we had the Bunnings Conference uh, last week and we, we had um, – Sam Bloom, who is is the lady behind the movie Penguin Bloom, and um, you know it's a fascinating story of of significant adversity. He's a you know, young, healthy mum falls off a, a balcony in Thailand and is is paralysed, and how she builds her life back. And um, you know you look at things like that, and, and you can learn so much from the story of people's lives. And I think yeah. that's that's one of the ways that you not only feel really grateful, but it helps energise you as well. In mm. just reflecting on your career too, Mike, you sort of you've, you've you've certainly been at the frontline roles and you've worked your way up. They've generally been one step at a time. When you think about going from the head of operations, then to be ultimately becoming the managing director, is that one step step up, or is it more than one step? Uh, it, it felt like a whole different building at the start. And I think one of the interesting things when you step into a role, and you know, I'm really fortunate to have followed in the footsteps of of some of Australia's best. Um, retail executives and, and leaders been very very fortunate in my time at Bunnings to work for some really impressive people. Um, it, it's not it you know to me it, it certainly felt like I was a little bit of an imposter um, for a period of time. There was a lot of change in Bunnings. We had we had our venture in the UK. Um, we had changes within our parent company. So there was a lot of change all at, all at once. And suddenly you sort of find yourself sitting at the, the end of a board table, you know, presenting to the West Farmers Board or presenting to the market. It's almost got to pinch yourself that mm. you know you're doing the job because I did, like I said I didn't come to Bunnings. Sometimes you can go in an organisation because your aspiration is to be MD. I came to Bunnings to put food on the table and send the kids to school and um, and continue to build my career. And uh, you know, early in my career, I, I you know, early in those target days, I had the opportunity to go to Geelong and um, visit the target head office and meet meet executives and in their big offices and thought, oh yeah, I want to I want a piece of that one day and eventually you're building your career and you're too busy parenting and working to sort of give much thought to the, the corner office. Not not that they exist anymore. We're 100% open plan at, at Bunnings. Okay. But um, it it is it is a huge step and it's a huge responsibility. Um, the biggest the biggest plus is that, um, you know, as, as the most senior leader in a business, you've, you've got the one job for the one role or the one person for the one role. There's no competition for a job. There's no... Um, you know, you're not you're not thinking about the next 
appointment or the next promotion um, because you, you're in that you're in that role, and I think that gives you the opportunity to get really comfortable in your own skin and express your own leadership style and be very authentic in perhaps in ways that you know when you when you're thinking about bigger roles or you're trying to fit within a team, you, you can sometimes trade off a little bit of little bit of who you are. And I think you know one of the really nice parts of coming to this role is. Um, you know, hopefully bringing a very relaxed but focused style of leadership into the business, um, letting people be themselves, comfortable in their own skin and feel welcome and included, regardless of, you know, where they've come from or, or how they view the world. Would you say you are a naturally ambitious person? I'm a very competitive person. I'll, I'll, plead, I'll plead guilty to the lesser charge of, of competitiveness. But um, ambition in the sense of, I've got a really strong desire to think, see things get better. So, you know, my ambition for the business is for it to be a better business um, when I leave than, than when I got it. And there's a fair bit of pressure there because it's a pretty well-run place when I when I took over. Um, but, you know, we've done things that that enhance trust and enhance the reputation of the business, or I'd like to think we have. Um, you know, and my ambition is to see people build great careers. The work I do in the not-for-profit space is all about seeing those organisations get better and make positive impacts uh, in the areas that that really matter to me, you know, personally and professionally, and um, but I also like to win, and I think that's a really strong strong culture at Bunnings. We have a vision statement of building the best and our team making it happen, and it's aspirational in the sense we don't want to define it. You know, if we if we set our aspiration being to be the largest home improvement chain in Australia, we'd have achieved that goal arguably ten years ago. And what do you do then? So by by focusing on being the best means you're compelled to be better every day and I think being competitive is is good in that regard um, but comp- competition has to be healthy you can't win at all costs and every now and then you need to uh, as Kenny Rogers said you know when to hold them and you need to know when to fold them <laughs> you do need to be able to walk away you do need to be able to walk away from some things because um, you know winning just for the sake of winning um, isn't isn't great and, no. and I love the collaborative relationships we have with our team with, with our with our stakeholders inside and outside. Um, and as, as you know, from our engagement with the ARA, you know, once, once we're in, we're, we're really in and we really want to be supportive. And um, that's sort of the philosophy that I, I have in that space. And mentors, have there, have there been mentors in your life? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great one. Like lots of different people for lots of different reasons. And, I, I, you know, one of the things that, that I think is really important is paying forward what you've been given. So I love, I love the opportunity when people reach out and say, can you help me connect me with someone or can you help me with an opportunity uh, to give people a go because, you know, right right from the start, that first store manager uh, back at Target, her name was 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 Van Wilkinson and, you know, she she took a chance on me. Um, you know, she got me a part-time traineeship. She let me work around my studies and, and you know, you know what that business was like yeah. back in those days and no disrespect to the great, many great people that worked there, but it, it wasn't a flexible place. You know, managers were called Mr. and Mrs. It's and Mrs. very traditional. No, no first names and, and very hierarchical. And, and here was someone years ahead of her thinking, and that's been the same through uh, Westpac, my, my, my years there, people giving me opportunities. And, and looking for mentors and coaches and role models, a little bit like a um, – it's a bit like an it's like a smorgasbord, you know, and you don't get many smorgasbords in in post COVID land. But from a leadership point of view, you do. And by that I mean that I've taken from I've taken things from leaders who I really admire, but I've also taken from leaders who I found it really hard to work with. You know, I've worked with some CEOs and executives who've been um, very old school, very very demanding in a very aggressive way. Um, and what I've learned there is they're the behaviours I don't want to display because I know how those behaviours made me feel versus the ones that 
were positive, but some of the best the best leaders I've worked for have been leaders that also hold me to account and told me when my standard of work wasn't good enough and, mm. and I had to pull my socks up and 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 go again. And I'm really fortunate that as as the years progress, roles like yours and mine afford us enormous opportunity to meet so many different people from from all walks of life, uh, government, religion, politics, uh, business, community. You know, it's hard not to be inspired by so many of them. And if you can just take one or two things here or there, then you're on a winner in my view. Mm, completely, completely agree. Uh, if you reflected on your career and you had your career over again, is there anything you would have done differently? Oh, it's a great, it's a great question. I, I am very grateful that the early days of my career um, were pre-social media. That, that's definitely, <laughs> definitely been a plus. I, I suspect there's many of our generation who would say yes. say the same thing. I don't, I don't think so because I, I've been afforded so many great experiences, and there's there's things that um, I've I've done in my career which. I hated doing, you know, some of the conversations having with people when we had our, our business in the UK and it wasn't performing, you know, they were really hard conversations, including mm-hmm. talking to the team at the time that we we divested um, our UK and Irish business. But they've made me, those things have tested me and they've made me a stronger leader and they've given me different sets of experience. There's certainly moments, you know, engagements with people where you've, you've been a bit short-tempered or perhaps haven't listened or perhaps been too quick to judge uh, you know, I would have at, at one point in my career would have said, you know, that I was very much ready, fire, aim rather than ready, aim, fire. And I think I've learned over time to rely more on good advice from trusted experts than purely going on on instinct. And COVID's been good for that in the sense that, you know, we've needed to rely more on lots of different people and lots of different skill sets. Um, but, you know, the thing that, that you know, continues to sort of sense me is the need for pragmatism and, and getting on with it because it's very easy to lose things in committee and, and conversation and not, not make decisions. Um, but what I have learned is that you can have those conversations in, in really positive, engaging ways, even when they're hard conversations. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I've, I've absolutely learned is, you know, deliver bad news quickly and fairly. And you want bad news to travel to your office very quickly so you know what's going on. But equally, if you've got tough news to deliver, sitting on it does no one any favours. So mm. getting, getting on with that's important too. Sensible, sensible advice. If you if you think about your younger self, what what advice would you give? Um, I, I think probably would be a little bit around maybe being, uh, maybe lowering the guard. I've you know for many years very very guarded and very very private. Um, probably would have lowered my guard a little bit more, and probably would have would have invested a little bit more, but not a lot in building networks. You know, I think connections with people um, that you build over time are really important. And you know, think about. This, this COVID period, suddenly everyone wants to talk to the the, the health minister or um, the chief health officer. Not going to happen in a pandemic. But you know, if you if you're working with, if you think about government relations, you know, mm. incre- what what this period has shown is just how important it is to have open open dialogue. And we have that in some jurisdictions. And I've got some strong strong personal relationships in in some parts of the com- country. And you don't ever seek to exploit those, but you know, sometimes government's just as interested in what business has to say, but they're often quite concerned about who they engage with. So finding those, you know, meaningful ways to have good conversations. So a little bit more networking, a little bit less guarded would be the two the two for me. Mike, I've really enjoyed our time today. Thanks for joining us in the Amex Lounge for some retail therapy. Congratulations on all your personal success, but equally the success at Bunnings and all the best for the future. Thanks so much, Paul, and congratulations. And thank you so much from the Bunnings team for all that you're doing under your leadership at ARA as well. 
Thanks for joining us on the Amex Lounge for some retail therapy. Make sure you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. We can be found wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts. For more information about the work we do at the Australian Retailers Association, head to our website, retail.org.au. Follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter or Instagram, wherever you love to connect. All the links can be found in the show notes. I can't wait to talk retail therapy with Australia's retail leaders and share these conversations with you, the future leaders, business owners and innovators of the industry.